You're listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church in Jacksonville, Florida. For more information on teachings and special events, visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org. Now let's listen in. Acts chapter 5. Y'all remember last week we started in Acts chapter 5? Who remembers what the the gist of the, I think it was the first 11 verses? Who remembers the gist of it? Hmm? What'd you say? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. And we, the, the passage talked about what? Who was, who was the prime, I guess you'd consider them the primary char- characters in this story. Ananias and Sapphira. And who remembers what happened to them? They went and did what? They died. <laughs> um, actually, if you think about, you know, we've been studying through the book of Acts and, you know, Jesus, obviously, just to kind of refresh your brain here, you know, Jesus came and, and lived, uh, you know, among us, took on flesh. He, he called out the disciples, and, and they followed him around for three years as he did public ministry. And, you know, all kinds of stuff was happening when Jesus was here. People were getting saved and healed and delivered and set free. And, you know, all kinds of crazy miracles were going on. And then Jesus died and he came back and he told you uh, after he, he died and then he, something pretty important happened after that, which was what? The resurrection. <laughs> he rose from the, from the grave and he came and he, how long was he with, after, between the grave and him going to heaven, how long was he on the planet? 40 days. 40 days. And at, at the end of 40 days, um, he left and then he told the disciples, hey guys, think about this for just a second. Actually, I was reading something about this today. It was kind of interesting. If you think about this, the disciples spent how many years with Jesus? Three. Basically three years, somewhere in that close to that neighborhood. And they got to see Jesus perform all these crazy miracles and you know, deliverances and you know, people being raised from the dead. And then Jesus, if you remember this, Jesus sent them out to do what? Basically the same thing. Go out and preach the gospel, raise the dead, heal the sick. And, and, and did they get to do that? Yeah, they got to do that. But then, it's interesting to me, I mean, you would probably consider that pretty good training, right? I mean, Jesus doing the training, he was the mentor, and they were the disciples. I mean, I, that's, I don't think you could probably get any better than Jesus' personal training on how to do this. And they got to do it, but then he still tells them, to me this is interesting, he still tells them just before he ascends into heaven to do what? Acts 1.8, to do what? Wait <laughs> until what? No, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, okay? And then when he does, he says, you will be filled with power, dunamis. You'll be filled with power. To, and so to me, it's just kind of interesting. They've, they've already done, I mean, I think that's pretty cool stuff. Some of them they already got to do. They got to be, I mean, in, personally instructed by the Son of God and how to do this, but he still tells them, now I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you, and when he comes on you, you're going to be doing the same thing, and other people are going to get to do that. We studied through Acts, now that happened, and how at Pentecost the Holy Spirit did come, and, and all the stuff that happened there, and then Peter gets up and preaches the sermon, and they ask, well, what do we have to do to get saved? And he tells them, repent and be baptized, and tells them about the times of refreshing that's going to be coming upon them. And, and then even during that time, if you remember, even beginning as early as Acts chapter 2, 
when when the Holy, when they got saved and the Holy Spirit came upon the people, not just the disciples, but the people that were coming to the to Jesus, there was an interesting thing that kind of became a, a norm, I guess. And that's how, when the Holy Spirit came on them. What what's one of the one of the things they started doing? They what? They spoke in tongues. What else did they do? They what? Praise God. They worshipped. What else did they do? Huh? Prophesied. You still haven't hit the one I'm looking for. What else did they do? They shared everything they had. And how did they do that? Many of them, says, many of them went out and sold things that they had, had sold property, sold possessions, so they could take that money and come and give so no one would be in need. That was, one of the, that was one of the things that separated them and, and, and stood out. Well, we come to Acts chapter 5, and Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, in fact, is, remember the verse just before that? I'm just giving you a brief review. The, the, I, guess, I think it's the last verse of chapter 4. It says this man named Joseph, he went and did what? Sold his property and came and gave it to the people that were in need, and they nicknamed him Barnabas, which was means encourager and that if you remember right that's the same Barnabas that meets Paul later when Paul gets miraculously saved and he comes back and everybody feels threatened they're afraid of Paul and Barnabas steps up and and brings him into the fold and becomes the encourager and 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 basically introduces Paul to all the rest of the Christians that were afraid of him well in Acts chapter 5 right after Barnabas has sold this there's this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. So they get in on the action. (laughs) They got in a little further in the action. They went and sold their possessions, sold something. I don't know that it doesn't say they sold everything they had, but they went and sold it, and and they came back, and Ananias, I guess, was first to this. I'm assuming there was some kind of service going on. Ananias comes in and says, hey, you know, my wife and I, we sold all this stuff, and now we're going to give, this is what we sold it for, and we're giving it all to the Lord. Now, what do you think Ananias was trying to do at that point? Get Get some points. (laughs) Get a good attaboy. The only problem is, is he lied about what he actually did, how much he sold it for. And the interesting thing, again, to me in that passage is Peter looks at him and says, you didn't lie to men, but you lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And when he said that, and we don't know whether, I don't know if Peter was expecting the poor dude to just fall over dead. But (laughs) when that happened, he fell over dead. Three hours later, it says that his wife came and did the same thing, and then she fell over dead. He knew what was going to happen that time, absolutely. And then it ends, that passage ends with what? Who remembers? Somebody look at Acts, uh, I think it's Acts 5. I don't even have it on here right now. Uh, verse 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there, what happens? They got a lot of respect, but a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It talks about what? The great fear came over the church. And so last week, I mentioned to you guys, there's basically... And I may be simplifying it a little bit, but I like simple. And I know most of y'all do too. So there's basically like two kinds of fear. There's a good fear and a bad fear. A healthy fear is what we talked about last week, which was the fear of the Lord. And we talked about how that was an awe and a reverence, a respect for who God is. It's not walking and trembling that, that he's going to zap you if you get out of line. But it's, it's understanding that this is a holy God. Okay, That's our dad. 
that he's a holy God, and we're, we're to walk in awe of him and fear of who he is. But I also mentioned there's an unhealthy kind of fear, and that's what we want to look at tonight, which I would just, for lack of better terms, would call it uh, uh, the bad kind <laughs> of fear. Um, I, in my, and I think, I think what's happening today in our culture, in our time, and it's not just in America, okay, it's around the world, I think fear is, is one of the biggest issues that people are facing today. Fear of, of loss, fear of, of, of their income, fear of what's going to happen. Older people are having fear of whether they're going to be, retire, be able to retire, fear of whether they're going to be able to live. There's fear of what? Sickness, fear of coronavirus has been around for 900 years, it seems like. And, and, and there's fear, you know, that, hey, I might get this, I might get that. I mean, it's still interesting to me to see how many people still have this fear of, of what's going to happen if, if this disease comes on them or this pestilence. So there's fear of, and now there's what's the new one that's coming out? Um, Monkeypox, whatever that is. Monkeypox is coming out. And, and it's like, it's just, it's like, it's like there's just one thing, at least to me, it seems like in the last, I don't know, five, ten years, there just seems to be, a, it seems to be amping up. Would you all agree with that? It's like, it's like things that are going on in the world. And I, I think some of it is it is amping up, but I think some of it is now we have, you know, 24-7, you can turn on the news media and see all the junk that is happening, and they don't ever tell you the good stuff, they just tell you all the bad stuff, and so there's literally people that just zone into that all day, and if you watch that crap all day long, guess what? You're going to walk in fear, because that's what you're, 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 you're giving your time and your energy, and you're spending all your time, and, and, and you watch that stuff long enough, it'll, it'll cause you to walk in fear. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to me, it, it's, the, it's the fear. It's like it's the fear of what if this happens. You know, it's the what. It's always the, it's always the what ifs. What, you know, what, what if this happens? What, what if I get sick? You know, what, you know what, if, what if I lose my job? What if, what if I lose my company that I own? What if, what if my car breaks down? What if something happens to my kids? What, you know, what if I can't buy formula at the, at the store? What, and there's just this, I mean, there's like thousands of those what ifs. And if we're not careful, we can get, we can get so caught up in the what ifs that we're just walking in a constant state of fear in our lives. And, and for me, I, I, it's almost like the, the fear the fear itself is worse than the situation. Does that make sense? The fear of, us, of this thing that could happen can consume us to the point that it's actually worse than if the thing actually happens. Amen. <laughs> you know, and so I, I mentioned to you guys, actually, I mentioned there was like, and I, I would encourage it because some of them are, and I don't want to make light of any of these phobias because if somebody really has this phobia, it's real to them. Okay, so I, I, some of them I make, some of them are just funny, okay? <laughs> but for the person that has that fear, it's not funny. Are you following me? Um, I'm, to some degree, I'm claustrophobic. That's a, that's a fear of being closed in. I, I, don't, I, I don't know why, but I, it's like, I, I mean, I was raised going, our uncle was a dentist, you know, I, I, was, I was raised going to the, to the dentist and, and getting your teeth cleaned, and then I married a, a, a dental assistant, so my whole life, 
until the last few years, I got to go to the dentist and it didn't cost me anything. That was the good part about it. And got to go regularly and get my teeth clean. And, and to, still today, when I go there, if they lay me flat on my back and start working on me, I can feel my anxiety come up. It makes no, it's no logical sense to it. I know they're not going to hurt me. I know they're not going to smother me. You know, I know they're not going to kill me. <laughs> but there's still this sense if I, if they lay me, but if they sit me up and I can say, if you just sit me up a level, I'm fine. And I am. Now that's, that's an irrational fear, but it's still real, real, real. It's still real to me. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? And so people that have these fears, I think we can get set free from them. We don't have to walk in them, but we, we don't want to make fun of them. I just, I wanted to say all that to say that. We don't, you don't make fun of somebody and, and all the amount of rationality you can give them won't change them from being in fear. I can barely drive over a bridge. I, I know several people. I, I, I have a, I have a relative that rolls the window down every time they go over the bridge. In case they go off, they'll be able to get out, open their car door. It's like that 200-foot fall into the river is not going to kill you. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> but the fear is I want to be able to get out of the car if I fall into the river, so I'm going to roll my window down. I, I, again, trying to convince somebody that that's irrational doesn't solve the problem. Praying for them can solve the problem. Sometimes that's a demon. Sometimes it's a spirit that's got a hold of the person. And you can get free from that. You can get delivered from that. And so I, was, I just wanted to throw a few of these phobias up to you. And I can't pronounce them because I have a fear of pronouncing this word. No, I don't. Sorry. I, I knew it was something was going to come out. Let's look at these. The first, the first one. <laughs> Y'all just give it your best shot on how you pronounce that. But... It, it's a rack of something, uh, phobia. It's a fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Now, now, now that's real, absolutely. Somebody, there's people that have that phobia. I mean, I mean, I've had peanut butter stuck to my mouth before, but I don't walk in fear of that. The other one, I guess, is nomophobia. That's fear of being without your mobile phone. <laughs> that's a fairly new one. Um, a, here's one I had in school, arithmophobia. I had a fear of numbers. <laughs> um, optophobia is fear of opening one's eyes. These are, le these are legitimate known phobias that people, and again, they're kind of funny. They're funny if you don't have it. You know, if, if you actually suffer with one of those. Another one. Let's go to the next slide. Chorophobia. <laughs> if you ever seen me dance, you think I should have that fear. <laughs> uh, Got, got, got geliophobia, fear of laughter, heliophobia, fear of sunlight, depnophobia, dep, <laughs> fear of dinner conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neophobia, fear of new things. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, Syngensophobia, fear of relatives. You got that one. <laughs> and then fear of washing and bathing. I, I'm glad I don't live around anybody that's got that one, but that's a bad one. I want to, I want to, here's one of my favorites. Come up with this one. You ready? This is at, atnophobia. It's the fear that somewhere, somehow a duck is watching you. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of my favorites, but. <laughs> And my, my other great favorite one is this one. Throw the next one up. 
this is phobia, phobophobia. This is a fear of having a phobia. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one that takes them all, I guess, the phobophobia, fear of having a phobia. And that, again, I, you know, I throw those up there because they, they are funny if you don't have them. But obviously there are some people that walk in literally legit fear from those things. And, and, you know, again, fear can actually be a bigger issue than the actual issue itself. And it's very obvious in those, you know, I mean, there's probably a pretty good chance a duck's not somewhere watching you. And even if it is, you know, just in case, it's, it's probably not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. You never seen a duck watching you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I tell you what, you walk by some of these geese out there, they'll attack you. Those suckers are mean. I don't know what a, what that phobia is, a geese phobia or something. But um, Anyway, I say all that to say this, that fear can literally paralyze you. And, and it's the opposite of faith. Let me think about that a minute. Fear is literally the opposite of faith. Remember the story of Jesus when he had, um, I believe it was right after he had fed the 5,000, he sent his disciples across, told them to get in the boat and go across the sea, and he went up to pray, and a storm came up, and in the middle of the night, I think it was 3 o'clock in the morning, something like that, Jesus comes walking across the water, remember the story? And the, and the disciples, what did they think when they saw Jesus? They thought he was a ghost. They, they were scared to begin with, and then they recognized it was Jesus, and then Peter being typical of Peter, calls out, hey, you know, I want to do that. And, uh, and he said, bid me to come. And so Jesus says, well, come on. And so Peter steps out, and he does pretty good until all of a sudden what? He starts paying attention to the waves. He starts looking at them instead of looking at Jesus. And so then he starts screaming out, help. And Jesus reaches down and picks him up, comes back. And then Jesus says something to them. What's he say? Where's your faith? They were walking in fear, okay? He was walking in fear of the storm. They were all afraid of the storm. Peter, in particular, is afraid of the waves as he's out there. And Jesus, the opposite of that, of, of the opposite of the fear, Jesus looks at him and says, where's your faith? In other words, if you have faith, you're not going to walk in fear. What they didn't realize is Jesus had told them, basically it was a command to do what? Go, go across the sea. So Jesus, if he tells them to go across the sea, there's probably a pretty good chance they're going to make it over there. Would you agree? And so, again, they got their eyes on this storm. Now, these, remember, these guys are, many of them are seasoned fishermen that have fished this sea their whole lives and have been in probably many storms. So this wasn't, when you think of a storm, I, I remember I used to, as a kid, I had this picture of this little rowboat, basically, and, you know, Peter steps out, and you know, there's a couple little ripples. But in reality, this is a fierce storm, and this boat's big enough to hold at least 12 guys. Okay, so it's not some little teeny boat, and it's being shaken and bounced all around. And so then Jesus comes and talks to them about, you know, where's your faith? You know, why, why are you in fear? Why are you, why are you fearful? It says this in Proverbs 18, 19, 18.10, it says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. Now, based on what we talked about several weeks ago, about the name of the Lord, what's the name of the Lord stand for? 
who he is, right? It's, man, I'm going to have to come back. We're going to just do that. We're going to just stay in Acts. What's the word I'm looking for? Per- forever? Not for, well, fearful, for perpetual. Well, that's one of your phobias is I'm going to stay in Acts. Act, Rock has an axe phobia. <laughs> that's just wrong, Rock. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord stands for Him, who He is. So you, there's not, you can't run into the name of God. You run to him. So it's the name of the Lord. We've talked about who the names of God are, and it's basically the names of God, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophe, Jehovah uh, Nisi, all those names of God are who he is. They're his character. So Proverbs are saying, we run to him, and we're what? Safe. Safe. He is a strong tower. And basically, it's the idea is the word strong tower is literally a military term, and it, and it, it has this idea of, of warfare. So there's a war going on, and we run to Jesus in the middle of the war, and he becomes our strong tower. That's what this, this passage in Proverbs is saying. And a strong tower literally is in opposition to what I would call like the towers of men, Okay. We have, we have towers that if we're not careful, we want to run to. What, think, of a, think of a tower that, um, that men run to. Help me out. It could be what? Money. Absolutely. Money can be a tower that we run to. What else? Our whole economic system. Is that threatened today? If, you watch the, if you're paying attention to the news and the stock market, it is. <laughs> I mean, inflation's going rampant right now. Okay, so there's a fear that's, that's our culture, the people that we're around daily, your neighbors, people you work with, your relatives, your friends, people are battling these fears on a regular, consistent basis. They're, people around you are concerned about their economics at this point, about their pocketbooks. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, that, why? Because it costs a whole lot more to live right now than it used to. And jobs are threatened. So there's this tower that it could be our economic system. What's another tower that man can have? Reputation. Reputation, absolutely. What's another tower? How about our health? How about since this is a military term, how about our military? Is that a tower we can run to? We can, we can have a certain, I mean, I've grown up my whole life thinking America is a, is the, is a world superpower and, and I should be able to have a certain amount of confidence and trust and rest in the fact that that's who we are. Is that, is that, is that a concern now for people? Yes. Absolutely. What else can be a, a, a tower of man? How about, how about just education? I mean, how many of y'all grew up your whole life being told you got to go to college? You got to go to college. You got to, and that's what we continue to teach our kids today. You got to go to college. In fact, is many of them that are going to trade schools now make more money than the ones that go to college. Okay, but that's that's something that's ingrained in us. That you got to get an education. You got to get an education. And I'm not knocking education, but there are other things besides education. Yeah, with no debt. <laughs> Psalm 27 makes this statement. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the 
name of the Lord. So what is he saying? There's this, it's the name of the Lord we can trust in or we can trust in what? Horses and chariots. How many of you have a horse and a chariot? What do you think that stands for today? It could be our cars. It could be our military power. It could be our own strength, our own abilities. Right? So some can trust in these, but some trust in the Lord. And, and again, to me, the horses and chariots stand for man to, man's towers. Proverbs 21 says this, The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Now listen to this. We, as, as a follower of Christ, we have our part to do. Horses are what? What's that verse say? Is it up there? The horse is prepared for the battle. Who does the preparing? We do. Okay? We have a part. We have, we have to prepare. There's things that God tells us to do. Okay? Let me put it to you this way. Is God our provider? Is He? If you sit home and lay in the bed all day and don't go to work, are you still going to have money to have food? Nope. Probably not. <laughs> well, in some systems you do. Do <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I mean, even though there's a wisdom to be used, God, God basically what that verse is saying, God's calling us to do this, and you, you prepare, but the victory belongs to who? To God. He's the one that brings the victory, but He uses our preparation. In other words, there's a certain amount of, 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 of things that's our responsibility that God's called us to and gives us the ability, gives us the strength, gives us the wisdom, but expects us to do it. Amen. Okay? But He's the one that brings the strength. He's the one that brings the victory. The ability. The ability. Listen to this. David says this in 1 Samuel 17. This is David as a boy. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but he's facing a giant. He's a young boy. Basically, a lot of people think he was probably 12 or 13 years old when he, when he took on the giant, when he took on Goliath. He says to this giant, You come to me with a what? Sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. I love that passage. This is a little, this is a little, in fact, many people think ruddy means redheaded. He was a little, probably young, 13, 14-year-old kid, redheaded, probably a little frail, but he was also somebody that was a shepherd, and he'd already at that age taken care of what? The sheep, and as the, something came to attack the sheep, which were two of them, a lion and a bear and david says hey god's my strength he, he helped me take care of them he'll help me take care of this giant too i come to you in the name of the lord i love that let's look at a few other verses that talk about fear what i want you to get is this you can't these passages will teach us we can't we can't trust in the strong towers. We can't trust in man's strength. We can't trust in our own abilities to do these things. We trust in the name of the Lord. And so we shouldn't have fear if we're trusting in God. Does that make sense to you? So our faith, we have faith in God instead of fear of all the what ifs. Let's look at some of these verses. This will, this will make more sense to you. John 16, says this. 
I have told, this is Jesus talking, says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Peace goes is anti, anti-fear. Peace and faith are over here, fear's over here. If we're walking in fear, we don't have faith and we don't have peace. You with me? Everything I've told you, so I've told you all this so that you'll have peace where? In me. Who, where's our peace come from? Jesus. Jesus. Not stuff, not things, not man's towers, not what we can see with our eyes, not our own bank accounts, none of that. You know how quick a bank account can get wiped out? Pretty darn fast. Mine does it regular. <laughs> so your peace can be in me. But he says this, here on, boy, here on earth you will have what? Many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Listen to the same, same passage in Passion Translation. And everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me <laughs> will be in you. And I will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. Our peace comes from Jesus. First Peter says this, pour out all your worries and, is it up there? Pour out your what? Worries and Stress. Now, what side of the equation are they on? The faith side or the fear side? I'm going for the fear. I'm going for the fear, too. So if you have fear, you probably are going to go along with fear is what? Stress and worry. They're all cousins. You thinking? You tracking with me? So if I'm worried about something, I'm walking to some degree in fear of whatever that thing is I'm worried about. And if I worry about it, it's probably going to build up a certain amount of Stress and another good word is anxiety. You with me? Peter says this, pour them out, your stress upon him, upon Jesus, and do what with them? Hello. <laughs> How many times are we guilty of praying, God, God, man, I, I'm, this is happening. I need you to take care of this. I, I've got this financial thing happening in my life right now. I need this. And we pray and we give it to Jesus and we get up and we walk out the door and we just take it right with us. Pick it up again. We just keep right on worrying, keep right on stressing, keep right on fretting, although we've already prayed about it. Yeah. Peter says, leave it there. For he, I love this part, he always tenderly cares for you. Is that powerful? God tenderly cares for me. Fear and worry are twin cousins. I love this verse, Philippians, verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. It says this, don't worry about the big things. Don't worry about what? Let's say that again. Don't worry about what? What falls in that category? <laughs> pretty much everything. Everything falls in the category of anything. I mean, that's pretty. You don't have to really spend a lot of time studying that and parsing the verbs and translating it and trying to figure out. I wonder what he meant there. 
I'm pretty certain what he meant was this. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> and I, if I remember right, actually, the, the actual literal translation is stop worrying about anything. Stop doing it. Instead, <laughs> pray about everything. Oh, my God, if we could grasp that. Yeah. Huh? I mean, just, you know how much healthier we would be? Do you, you understand worry and stress and anxiety causes physical illness? Yes. In fact, as some doctors, as some scientists say, as upwards to 75, 85% of all illnesses come from stress, worry, and anxiety. And it, and it shows up in various forms of sickness and disease in our body. Paul says this, stop it. <laughs> I almost showed that, that video. It was too long. It was a six-minute video. Have you guys seen the video by Bob Newhart where it says stop it? If you haven't seen it, you need to look it up. It's, it's, it's classic. <laughs> Just stop it. Stop it. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> Instead, pray about everything. Tell, look at this. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which is the opposite of fear and the opposite of worry and the opposite of anxiety. If you don't worry about it and you pray about it, I mean, that's a pretty good, don't worry, but pray. Then you'll experience God's peace, and I love this, which exceeds anything we can understand. Is that awesome? You know what he's saying? If you pray instead of worrying, if you pray and you leave it to him, you take your cast your cares on him, you'll experience a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, your brain won't be able to comprehend the fact that you're walking in peace in the middle of the storm. Any of y'all ever experienced that? Man, I have. I've, I've, I mean, I've had times where I even thought to myself, you know, I'm, I must be delusional. Like I should be, I ought to be more worried about this. I mean, <laughs> it's like it, it just it doesn't make sense that you can have peace in the middle of this situation because it, it just it, it, it doesn't it's not rational. Why? Because God's not always rational. He does things and he gives us peace if we'll bring it to him. And look at this says his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And. <laughs> Not only that, dear brothers and sisters, but one more thing, one final thing. Here's what: fix your thoughts. Instead, of, if you're worrying, what are your thoughts fixed on? Come on, look at me. If you're worrying, if I'm worried about my finances, what are my thoughts fixed on? Finances. It's deep, ain't it? If, if I'm worried, if I'm, if I'm worried about whatever, I'm worried about my car breaking down. I'm worried about whether I'm gonna have food. I'm worried about. My job, am I going to lose my job? I've heard they're laying people off. All of a sudden, I'm going to start stressing over that, and I'm going to worry about it. My eyes are fixed, and my thoughts become fixed on that thing, which causes me to worry. You know, worry, basically, worry is, is some people in Christian circles don't like the term meditation, okay, because the Eastern religions have abused it. We're told to meditate on the what? On the Word of God. Okay? If we're, med med we're meditating on the Word of God is the opposite of worrying. People, people say, well, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to meditate. Well, do you ever worry? 
Yeah, that's meditating on the wrong thing. Isn't it? If I'm worried about this thing, uh, meditating is I'm just thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm I, literally the term's like regurgitating it in my brain. It's just, it just stays there and I get fixed on it or fixated on it. And, it. and you know what happens when you start doing that? That thing becomes what? It, it, it becomes bigger, doesn't it? When I start focusing on that, there's that spot back there. And if I fixate on it, that spot begins to take up my whole vision. And Paul's saying, quit doing that. Stop worrying. Start coming to God. Pray about everything. Leave it with him. And the peace that he has will, will, will come upon you. You won't even be able to figure it out. It'll guard your hearts and your minds. And then he says this, fix your thoughts. Instead of fixing it on that thing that's causing you to fear and worry, fix it on this. Fix your thoughts on what is true. What's true? Tell me one thing that's true. What? The Lord's true. What else is true? He's good. Hello, everybody say God's good. You know what fear and worry wants you to believe? He's not. Doesn't it? If I'm fearful about something, I'm, what I'm saying is God, God, God doesn't see me in this. He's not going to take care of me here. I need to do it. I need to solve the problem. I've got to think about this, worry about it, fixate on it. Instead of, instead of thinking about instead of thinking about that thing, think about this thing. You know what? God's good. God, God does he love you? Oh, yeah. God loves me. Is that true? Yes. Fixate on things that are true. Think about the stuff that's true is what he's saying. Fix your thoughts on the, what's honorable, what's right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think on those things about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything can be heard from me and saw me do, and then the God of peace will be with you. Do we have our part in that? Is there, is there, do we have a part? If we're worried about something, is, are we playing a, a, a role in that? Absolutely. Can we do something about it? Absolutely. And we just read an awesome passage that tells us that. John 14, 27 says this, Jesus I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. <laughs> Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Isn't that worry? Instead be courageous or be bold. Joshua 9, Paul, or God told Joshua as, as they were passing the mantle from Moses to Joshua, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Jesus says in Matthew, I just, you know, I guess one verse is probably enough that we ought to follow it, but if there's 500 of them, it might be for emphasis. What do you think? Jesus says this, Don't worry about. For tomorrow will, <laughs> each day, don't you love how Jesus just puts this stuff, each day has enough trouble its own of its own. Quit, quit worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen. You, know, you know how much good, you, how much benefit will your worrying do to solve the problem? Nothing. Zippo. My gosh, you'd think by now we'd learn that, wouldn't you? 
I mean, how, you heard the, the, the this phrase of you worry yourself sick? That's reality. I mean, and Christians do that. It's not just lost people. Christians do that. It's like, don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. Psalm 23, 4. Everybody knows Psalms 23, but this part of the verse says this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going to end with this. Actually, I'm not, but it's going to be the last verse I read. Then I'm going to end. 2 Timothy. Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of Fear and timidity. If we're walking in fear, it probably didn't come from God. Actually, no probably to it. It did not come from God. He hasn't given us a spirit, but a power. He's given us power, love, and self-discipline. I want to read this last, this last little section. It's a quote out of a book called Waking the Dead. I would encourage you guys um, a guy named John Eldridge wrote this book. He wrote several of them. They're all great books. I don't. Again, when I encourage you to read a book, doesn't mean I agree hundred percent with everything the guy says. Okay, I always want to throw that little thing out there. So he does teach some things that I don't particularly agree with, but this one's powerful. This is what he says. He's talking about warfare. Either we wake, we wake up to tackle our to-do list. Get things done, guided by our morals and whatever clarity we may have at the moment. What, in other words, he's, he's been talking about, if we're not careful, Christianity can become just a list of rules. You with me? It can be a, or a to-do list. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do that. That's how I was raised in church. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it just became, it's religious. That's what all religion's about is what, what we can do, Okay. He's making this statement. We can get up, we can wake up to our to-do list, things that we've got to do, guided by our own morality, whatever clarity we may have at the moment, or we wake up in the midst of a dangerous story. As God's intimate ally, following him into the unknown. Does that sound like something you want to do? I want to read that again. You can wake up to your, this list of things to do, of, of, of how I've got to do this, and, and kind of guided by my own sense of morality and clarity. Or I can wake up with this understanding. I can get up tomorrow in morning when I get up, and I can have this understanding that I'm waking up in the middle of a dangerous story. Tomorrow, I got, I'm going to be at a war tomorrow. You tracking with me? I can wake up with a list, or I can wake up with a mentality. I'm going to be in the middle of a war. Yet, you see there's a different mentality? But you're in a story with, with God as your ally, following him into the unknown. If you're not pursuing a dangerous quest with your life, well, then you don't need a guide. If you haven't found yourself in the midst of a ferocious war, then you probably won't need a seasoned captain. If you've settled in your mind to live as though this is a fairly neutral world and you're simply trying to live your life as best as you can, then you're probably going to get by with the Christianity of tips and techniques. Maybe. <laughs> I'll give you about a 50-50 chance. 
But if you intend to live in the story that God is telling, and if you want the life that he offers, then you're going to need more. Listen to this. You're going to need more than a handful of principles, however noble they may be. You tracking with me? There are too, listen to this, there are too many twists and turns in the road ahead. Too many ambushes waiting only God knows where. Too much is at stake. You cannot possibly prepare yourself for every situation. Narrow is the way, says Jesus. How shall we be sure to find it? We need God intimately and we need him desperately. You have made, made, made known to me the path of life, David says. Yes, that's it. And all the ins and outs of this living we call living, of this thing we call living, there is one narrow path to life, and we need help finding it. Is that powerful? Yeah. Do you see the different mentality? I mean, there's a different mentality between I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I was, I was raised in a, a, a blessed country. God's on our side. He hates everybody else. And, and, and I'm, you know, I go to church and, and I'm, you know, I was taught I'm supposed to be good and I'm supposed to be nice and, and kind and, and, and all those things, which there's nothing wrong with being those things. I'm not mocking that. But, you know, there's this, there's this, there's this set of rules and things that I can do as a Christian. You know, I can go to these kind of movies, but I can't go to these and I I can say these words, but I can't say these words, and I can do this, but I can't do that, and I, I got to follow all these things to navigate through my life, and you know what happens? You run into something that you can't navigate through. You can't figure it out. Any of y'all ever bumped into a wall you just can't quite figure out? It doesn't make sense to you? You don't know what you're supposed to do? Am I the only one? <laughs> what do you need? You need God. You need the Holy Spirit. God, you know what? He'll give you day-by-day directions. He'll give you the bread that you need daily. Isn't that why it's called the daily bread? He'll, he'll, what, he, what he says is, is if we understand, if I understand, it's just a different mindset that I get in. If I understand tomorrow morning when I get up that, that I've, there's more to life than me just going through this life, than just going through things or checking off my do list. There's, there's more to it than that. If I, if I don't go through life with this mentality that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to be in the middle of a war. I gotta, if I understand I'm going to be in a war, I'm going to think differently, aren't I? I'm going to be prepared differently. I'm, I'm gonna, if I know tomorrow I'm going to face a giant, I'm going to be spending some time with God getting ready for it. Amen? I mean, if I know I'm going to walk into this battle, I mean, you know, when you're in the face of a giant and you got God on your side, all you need is a little sling and a stone. <laughs> right? There's a passage, I wish I could remember where it's at. It just comes to mind, it's, and it's, it's in Proverbs. And it's, it, the, one of the verses says, don't answer a fool. Y'all can look this up when you get home. It says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. You ever read that? Yeah. The, you know what the very next verse says? Answer a fool according to his folly. What? Just the opposite. What do you think you need? 
Maybe some wisdom. Maybe if you run across the situation, or, and I just talked, just used the illustration of a fool, but maybe you run, today if I run into this situation, I need wisdom from God. I need to hear from Him. How do I deal with this? How do I get through this situation? How do I walk through this? Because you know what? Tomorrow may be something that looks similar, but you got to treat it differently. Amen? That's what I love about the Old Testament when they crossed into Jordan and they're fighting. All these battles, one of the things that Moses and Joshua and those guys did, if you read through Kings and Chronicles and those stories and Joshua and Judges as they're going through those stories, one of the things they did before when they, when they were following God, one of the things they did before they went into those battles is, is they would get with God and say, what do you want us to do now? In other words, the last time we fought this battle, you told us to walk around the wall seven times. <laughs> This is a battle that looks similar. Do I just go out and do it this way because it worked last time? Or do I need to find out, God, what do you want me to do here today? How do I handle this? One time, God, you told us to send the worship leaders out first. And they went out and they were worshiping God. And as soon as they started shouting and worshiping, the enemy went crazy and killed themselves. <laughs> now, do I, is that how I... See, that's the rules of techniques and to do... And principles that then we get locked into this thing of thinking every time I hit this, this is how I got to do it. We may have to do it differently. <laughs> and that's when we need wisdom from God. That's when we need to spend time with him. Dad, what are you saying? How do I, how do I deal with this? this? Dad, this is yours. I'm, I'm preparing. I'm getting ready. But the, I know the battle is yours. I know it belongs to you. I know you're going to give me the victory. That makes a lot more sense than just trying to figure out, okay, i got to do it this way every single time. You're going to run into walls you can't get through and battles you're not going to win if you just try and do it the way you always did it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. I hope you get the fact that we right now and I, I mean, I've been around almost 70 years. I'm close. Still in my 60s. Not by, not by much, but I'm hanging on. I'm clinging to my 60s. I hope you understand, in my lifetime, I don't know that I've ever seen a world that's the way it is right now and the culture that we live in and the things that are happening, like, daily. I mean, like that, that are coming, that are, that are attacking people, that are the lies that are being told to people from people who are, that aren't supposed to be lying to them. I mean, and, and just bombarded with stuff. People are walking. I'm telling you, the people that are your neighbors, the people you work with, the people that are in your family are walking in fear. And it's eating them up. And we have the answer. Don't we? And you know, if they see it in your life, if they see you focusing on Jesus instead of all the crap, they'll know something you got that you've got something they don't. Won't they? I Wow. I had more than one, numerous people come up to me after losing Kathy and say to me what a testimony I was to them 
that I was able to keep walking with Jesus in the middle of it. And that's not tooting my own horn or patting myself on the back, but people are watching. <laughs> They're watching you. And if, if, if they see you living a life of faith and walking and trusting, when it doesn't make sense, when it looks like God's abandoned you, when it looks like things are not going the right way, but they keep seeing you trust and walk and believe, and they see you walk through that, they'll re they recognize that. And they'll want, to, they'll want to know, they'll ask you, remember the verse, that they'll ask you for the reason of the hope that is in you. They won't ask it if we're not showing it to them. <laughs> Amen? See, I, I, I want people, to, I want to hear testimonies from you guys and us, people that are saying, hey, I see something in you. There's a hope that's in you that, that I don't have. That's, that's, see, the opposite of fear and worry is faith and hope. Aren't, isn't faith and hope similar? So, Father, I just ask that in Jesus' name, you would help us, Lord. We, we want to be, um, Dad, we just want to be a testimony. We, we want people to see us and be able to ask us, what, what's different? What is this hope that I see in you that I don't have? How can you have hope? How can you, how can you smile? How can you still be thankful? How can you... How can you still have this when our company's falling apart, when we're losing our jobs, when this is going on, when, when our cars are breaking down, when all the stuff that's happening, when our relatives are sick, or and yet you continue to walk? Dad, we want that to be our testimony where people ask that of us. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, you, you would begin to show each of us when we are tempted to slip into this posture of worry, Lord. When something's happened in our lives and we're tempted to slide over and begin to fret and worry and be anxious about it, but Dad, show us that. Bring that to light to us where we can come and we can just bring it to you, Lord, and be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thankfulness. We can let our requests be made known unto you. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, thank you that we... Um, we know you care, Lord, that you are the shepherd of our souls and that you care for us, Lord. So we just, we give ourselves, Dad, over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed, guys. Have an awesome week this week. You've been listening to a teaching from Vineyard Church. For more information on teachings and special events, visit us online at www.vcjax.org. That's vcjax.org.